The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me. And those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the unknown God, who dwells within us and among us and beyond us. Amen. Amen. What a delight it is for me to be here again. For those of you who may not know me, I am Maureen Kameza, a priest associate here in Trinity Church. And if you don't know what priest associates are, priest associates, uh, we're not priests on staff like the rector or associate rector or our curate, but rather more like clergy parishioners, and darn lucky to be here. Some of you do know me, because I go a long way back here with many of you whom I have had the blessing to know since, I guess it's going on 25 years now, since I first found my way into this sanctuary as a Boston College doctoral student in theology, then a Roman Catholic, Irish Catholic, and mother of young children. That's a long time ago, and some who were here then are not here now. Uh, except they are here in spirit, and I remember and honor them as well. Long story short, touched by the kind hospitality that received me when I was a stranger here, and moved by the profound beauty here that I found at every turn, and inspired by the brave and spirited and interesting people who were and are the living church here in Trinity. I was soon received into the Episcopal Church, right there at that altar crossing, and then invited into the ordination process later on, and at length ordained in this sanctuary by Bishop Barbara Harris in one of the happiest days of my life. Trinity then sent me out with love and encouragement to teach and to pastor in other places, But believe me when I say that everywhere I went, I carried Trinity in my heart. And before this part of the story really does stretch out long, since there have been so many events in my life and in yours, I think of joyful mysteries and sorrowful mysteries and glorious mysteries. 
A few years ago, I retired from full-time parish work and returned home to Concord and to Trinity. And since then, week by week, I have felt so blessed and happy to be here praying and singing with you once again, more so than I can even say. And glad, too, to help out Trinity and Nick and Matt whenever I can. And this is one of those times, since the rector and associate rector are both away, and Matt has extra pers- uh, pastoral duties, so I have the opportunity and duty to share some reflections with you on the rich, textured readings that we just heard from Scripture. And once again, to share with you here the bread of life. Seeds of contemplation. The readings we have just heard, and particularly the first reading, so well spoken by John, the Acts of the Apostles, and also the passage of the Gospel according to John, contain seeds, seeds of ideas, seeds of insight that have flourished in our Christian traditions of spirituality and contemplation, enriching our faith. These seeds of contemplation carry some of the most fundamental insights of Christian faith, namely the irreducible mystery of God the irreducible mystery of God, and maybe paradoxically, the profound intimacy of the spirit that dwells within us and among us and beyond us. And so my comments will highlight the mystery of God and the indwelling intimacy of God, a paradox without ending. First, about the unknown God. Uh, a little background. You are mindful that scripture is history of a certain kind, sacred history. It's also a literature of meaning making infused with uh, philosophy and, and all kinds of uh, understandings of how the world works and why. And In the strongest sense of the term, scripture is poetics. Uh, One writer refers to it as theopoesis, a lovely long word that I just love to say again and again, theopoesis. But it's language about God that has the freshness and the aliveness of poetry and the freedom of poetry. But it's about God and the things of God. And so... In our scripture, we have a kind of compression of history and meaning-making and theopoesis. All of these ways of communicating the good news are implicit. And as children, I know I did and perhaps you did too, as children we take it all in undifferentiated and don't make the distinctions between the different levels or intentions of meaning. But as, an, as adults, we need to trace out some of the distinctions. Because if we don't, we, we may well get it wrong. And we may 
well confuse history with theopoesis and and literal language with spiritual language. And then we may come up with pronouncements like the end of the world will occur on, is it now October 21st? A category confusion, taking uh, theopoetic language for literal language. And it would be only just another sign of our human foolishness, except that it can lead some people astray and can do some harm, like the kinds of language that Mally Lloyd spoke about last week, language of, that seems to be language of exclusion or excommunication, taken the wrong way, has been used in cruel ways and in ways that are so far from the overarching purposes of scripture. So um, we try to be careful about how we're using our language. Mindful always that we uh, want to avoid a distortion in reading the narrative of the Bible, which is, after all, an account of the hope that is within us. Hope of God's tender mercy and for connection to the divine purpose that all people everywhere Indeed, all beings, all of creation, should have life and have it abundantly, full of grace and truth, rooted and grounded in love. Okay, so Paul in Athens. Picture that as a video on YouTube. Paul... A Jewish rabbi who we all know has had a checkered history with the Christian proclamation, at first persecuting the Jews who embraced Christ, severely persecuting them, and then through events, including the the death of Stephen, he saw the light and gave his heart to Christ and committed his tremendous energy and um, and skills as a leader to the burgeoning Christian movement. Well, anyway, here we see him in a little vignette, which is really sort of an idealized and compressed history of what happens uh, in the early decades after Christ has died and risen again from the dead. Paul is standing in the Areopagus, Uh, proclaiming his gospel to the Greeks. Uh, It's kind of touching, really, to see this man now empowered by by the indwelling of the Spirit, coming to the seat of cosmopolitan civilization in the ancient Mediterranean world, coming to Athens, where... um, Philosophy and art and every kind of human endeavor has had the most extraordinary development in the prior several hundred years. Um, Their literature and art and ways of thinking are admired and imitated throughout all of the Roman Empire. So here comes this Jewish evangelist to speak to them and um, to persuade them to embrace the God who was uh, a fire in his spirit. Paul stands there at the Areopagus 
and addresses the Athenians in terms of their own culture, which was a brilliant evangelical move. Um, they had a highly developed religious humanism, which included the honoring of many gods, but a philosophical insight into the unmoved mover, the prime source, the creator god, the god that came to be called the, the god of wisdom. And so uh, Paul honors their religious nature, points out that he's seen these many shrines and has noticed the shrine to the unknown god and is here that he wishes to join his message to their rich culture. And he persuades them, addresses them, um, makes his case to them that this unknown God is the God of Abraham and Isaac, the God incarnate in Jesus Christ. That is the God, he says, in terms of your own theopoesis, in whom we live and move and have our being. And so he, he speaks to them, he addresses them, and, uh, and converts many of them. As we hear this story, as we see this picture, um, we're mindful that in this season after Easter, the readings are all an unfolding of what happens in the church in light of the resurrection and in with the energy of the spirit, which is more and more um, strengthening the Christian movement and enlarging the Christian movement. Um, the readings now are bringing us closer and closer to the remembrance of Pentecost when the spirit comes in full force in the community. So think of this picture, this image of Paul as a kind of uh, preview of what happens when the church is animated by the coming of the spirit of which Jesus speaks in the gospel passage. And we'll return to that. But before we go that, there, I would like to underscore the idea of the unknown God because I see it as so crucial to a mature appropriation of our faith. And remember that this notion of God all transcendent is rooted utterly in Jewish faith. Remember the, uh, the first commandment that includes the language, make no graven images, make no images at all. I am the Lord your God. Um, I am the one who appears, I am the one who appears to Moses as a burning bush. And Moses says, what is your name? Meaning, you know, what, how can I get a handle on you? What is your moniker? Um, who shall I say sent me? But God remains that mystery. The, burning, the bush that burns and is not consumed. God is the fire that will not be named, will not be owned by a namer. And so God says, I am. Just tell them, I am. And so this deep and true insight into the transcendence of God is at the heart of uh, Jewish faith. And Christianity informed also by the insights of the Greek, will take those affirmations to heart. 
For in Christ, the unnameable mystery we presume to call God was incarnated to us, was revealed in flesh and blood, in the life of a common man, in the face of his suffering and loss, in the glory that was seen even in and through and despite that ignoble death. But still, but still, the infinite mystery transcends all the language that we can bring to bear to tell the story. It transcends our grasping. There is always more. The future always bears surprises that we never dreamed of and good things that we never even dared to hope for because God is transcendent. God is mystery. The infinite mystery that transcends our grasp ever greater than any who will claim to have encompassed it. And here I remember Augustine, the great African 4th century theologian bishop, who in fact himself composed a whole, whole library of writings about God, spiritual and theological, whose primary uh, message to all who came after him is that Um, is summed up in this phrase. When you are talking about God, if you think you have comprehended, hear that word, comprehended, got your hands around, got your hands on, if you think you have comprehended, then what you have comprehended is not God. You come up empty because God's freedom is so great and so wonderful. So, I say this as the good news because of all that it implies about the openness of revelation, about the possibilities of God breathing meaning in every culture of the world, in every great religious tradition, and even beyond religious traditions, in all that we can see in this marvelous creation and in the experiences of human beings and indeed creatures everywhere. God is free. We speak about God in the language of our tradition. It brings us close to that mystery. It draws us up in the terms of our own culture into the mystery of God that we will never comprehend. And the good news is we don't comprehend because God comprehends us. We are comprehended. We are known through and through by the God who is greater than even our love, even our understanding. And isn't that a good thing? Having said that, I will now contradict it, or so I will seem to, by pointing to the gospel according to John, where Jesus, who there is, is shown speaking to his disciples in the days before he goes up to Jerusalem to the death that he foresees coming. He's speaking to them to, to console them and to focus them and to sustain them for what is about to happen and especially for their loss of him. And he says to them, speaking in what I take to be the spiritual language of theopoesis, he says to them, I will not leave you orphans. I am going to the Father. 
I will ask the Father to send you another advocate. The Greek is paraclete, which can't be translated exactly into English. Paraclete, or advocate, or counselor, or consoler. I will send you this consoler. And he will dwell in you. And you will know that you are dwelling in me and I in the Father. And so there's a way that this unknown God, who cannot be grasped or held, has come to dwell deep within the life of your life, the heart of your heart, the conscience of your conscience, and that of all of ours together. God in us, and we in God. And so, we know God intimately. God is nearer to us than our next breath. God has known us from before we were born, and all the world before it was made. God has the future in hand, has our freedom, our love, our hope in hand. And so, the message the radical freedom of God, the indwelling of God. It helps us to keep that paradox in tension so we don't make the mistake of thinking as some New Agers are tempted to do, and I know because I listen to New Agers, we're tempted to think that God is our self. But God is not our self. God cannot be captured by the conscious mind or the ego So God is within us, without us. And if I seem to be babbling, it's the language of Scripture. God is within us, but so far beyond us. And that's good news, too. Because the projects and the aims and the limited vision of our own self can never limit the blessing and the influx and the indwelling of the divine in our lives our individual lives, and our life together. So, to conclude, I have brought you a prayer from one of my favorite Irish poets. Did I mention I had been Irish Catholic? I brought you a part of a poem from Seamus Haney who is a Pulitzer Prize-winning poet and uh, knows well how to speak the language of theopoesis. In this part of a poem that I have for you, I offer to illustrate both the knowing and the unknowing. Seamus Haney is translating here a poem from the Spanish mystic John of the Cross. And you may know that John of the Cross wrote about the dark night of the soul as the place where he most vividly encounters the living God. That place where he no longer thinks he knows anything. Perhaps where his heart is not even uh, feeling consoled. Perhaps a place where there's even great sorrow and loss of hope. In that dark night, the mystic John of the Cross encounters the living God. So, Seamus Haney translated John of the Cross's poem. He uses the image of water 
as a poetic language of the spirit. And you'll hear the alternation of knowing, not knowing, knowing, not knowing. How well I know that fountain, filling, running, although it is the night. That eternal fountain hidden away, I know its haven and its secrecy, although it is the night. But not its source, because it does not have one, which is all sources, source and origin, although it is the night. No other thing can be so beautiful. Here the earth and heaven drink their fill, although it is the night. So pellucid it never can be muddied, and I know that all light radiates from it, although it is the night. I know no sounding line can find its bottom, Nobody ford or plumb its deepest fathom, although it is the night. And its current so in flood it overspills to water hell and heaven and all peoples, although it is the night. This eternal fountain hides and splashes within this living bread that is life to us, although it is the night. Hear it calling out to every creature, and they drink these waters, although it is dark here, because it is the night. I am repining for this living fountain. Within this bread of life, I see it plain, although it is the night. (laughs) 